silence. For 400 years, there was no new word from God, no prophet to speak on his behalf, not even the slightest mutter from the heavens. Yet this stillness was not a sign of neglect, yet a sign of preparation. For since the moment of man's first sin, God had a plan of redemption, and it was now time for that blueprint to come alive. We know what the earth was like, but the scene in heaven was completely different. It was beautiful, streets of gold, pearly gates, angelic figures and beasts, fountains of living water, walls made of admirable stones. It was the most precious, glorious sight that man had never seen. Yet, as compelling as all of these things were, they were not the conduit in which redemption would flow from. For it was going to take something far greater and more powerful than the majestic features that heaven had to offer to cleanse mankind of its impurities. It would take the blood of a spotless lamb, one who had never sinned, one that was considered to be faultless. As everyone scanned heaven looking for something or someone to fit that description, none could be found. Well, no one except for one. Seated at the right hand of God was a man, but he was not a man like you and I. He had a different glory about him. His eyes were like flames from a fire. His feet were fine like brass. His voice sounded like many waters. And upon his head was multiple crowns. In all of heaven, there was no one like him. One of the things that made him unparalleled to all else was the fact that he had many names. Faithful and true, Prince of Peace, Alpha and Omega, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and most importantly, Son of the Most High God. Yes, it is true. This being was the Son of God. He was there from the beginning. He existed before time existed itself. He had equality with God. He had all authority and all power. Everything existed because of him. He was Lord over all creation. And at all times, he had one thing in mind, to please his father. He was the answer. He was God's miraculous plan. In order to save the world, he would give his most prized possession to pay the ransom fee that was demanded so that we all could be freed from sin, his one and only son. It was like trading treasure for rubbish, like exchanging wealth for poverty, like giving up glory for meekness. Ultimately, it was giving up divinity for death, for that is what it was going to be required of the son, death. He was going to have to die. But what's so beautiful about this story is that the son never complained. He never moaned. He never said, Father, why me? He never said, I don't want to do this. He never said one word that would combat the father's plans. He simply responded, if it pleases you, Father, I'll go. It seems absurd that this divine being would want to die for a group of people that seem to have no regard for anyone but themselves. But that's not what the father would see when he gazed upon him, upon them from their thrones in heaven. Were they wicked? Absolutely. Corrupt? Without a doubt. But none of that could overshadow the fact that they were his. They were the creation in which they loved dearly. And that love caused the son of God to step out of, it, step out of eternity 
and enter into time. After hundreds of years of tranquility, something began to echo. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. An angel appeared to a woman. Mary was her name. And the angel began to speak to her. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You are going to give birth to a son, and he will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. And when this happens, you will give him the name Jesus. At this, Mary became very confused. She knew what the process was to give birth. She was engaged to her fiancé named Joseph, but she had never been with a man. So she asked the angel, how will this be possible? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The, only, the Holy One that is to be born to you will be called the Son of God. At this, Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May his word be fulfilled. And just as that angel said it would be, so it was. Mary became pregnant with a child, but confused by what was going on, her fiancé Joseph decided that he no longer wanted to be betrothed to her. He tried to divorce her quietly, but an angel appeared to him and confirmed that what was taking place within Mary's body was true. It was a divine work of the Holy Spirit. Joseph had a change of heart and decided that he could stay with Mary and marry her, but not till after Jesus was born. The nine-month incubation period had run its course, and the time had come for Mary to give birth. In a frantic hunt to find a place where they could have a baby, she searched everywhere, but no place was available. So her and Joseph settled into a stable, and there Mary gave birth to God's son. They wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. And this divine being who once had all authority and power was now like you and I. He became flesh. He became human. Though he was a boy, he became a man. Not far off in the distance were some shepherds keeping watch over their flocks in a field, and an angel abruptly appeared before them and startled them, for the glory of the Lord had shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. The angel and the host then disappeared, and off rushed the shepherds to Bethlehem to meet this baby that was destined to save the world. Shepherds and wise men came from all over to gaze into the eyes of the one considered to be heaven's greatest prize. Mary and Joseph did just as the angel had told them to do, and they named the baby boy Jesus. And though he was the son of God, they cherished and loved him as if he were their own. He laughed like you and I would laugh. He would cry like you and I would cry. He was 100% God who became 100% man. He was always about his father's business. Even at a young age of 12, Jesus could be found in the temples preaching to other people about the Father in heaven. Many were amazed and astonished at his knowledge of God at such a young age. 
As he grew into a young man, he gained the skill sets of a carpenter, and he worked hard to build many things. But after 30 years of his lifetime had come, it was now his moment to embrace the purpose in which God the Father had sent him here for. Jesus had a cousin. His name was John, and John was known for baptizing people. Jesus went to be baptized, and as he came out from under the water, the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God descended down from the heavens like a dove and rested upon him. And God's voice rang down from above and announced to all who were around to hear, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It was a beautiful moment between Father and Son. After his baptism, Jesus gets out of the water and he's led into the wilderness to spend alone time with God. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of this time of solitude coming, the evil one showed up and he tried to do the same thing. He tried to do the same thing to him that he once did to Adam and Eve. But Jesus would not fall victim to the same trap that ensnared mankind. He tried to sell Jesus a lie, but he wasn't buying it. After three different times of trying to tempt Jesus to fall into sin, he casted the evil one aside and demanded that he leave him be. Jesus was now ready to go and tell the world who he was and why he was there. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, is what he began to tell people. Determined not to do this alone, he invited 12 different men to come journey alongside of him during this wild adventure. Two men named James, two men named Judas, one man named Bartholomew, another man named Matthew. There was Peter and his brother Andrew. There was John and Thomas. And lastly, there was Philip and Simon. Together, these 12 men, these 12 men answered the call and went on to become his disciples. And he was their teacher. They went with him where he went and they stayed with him where he stayed. With them by his side, he began to preach to all who would listen. One day, a large crowd had gathered on a mountainside, and he went up to them, and he began to preach to them and taught them many new things that they had never heard before. He spoke with conviction and authority. He delivered a powerful message, the one that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And after he preached this message, he continued on in his mission. He began to do many signs and wonders and miracles, and many people became amazed at what he was doing. News of his greatness began to spread throughout the region, and many would follow him as he traveled. But some people became extremely jealous of Jesus. Who was this man, they thought? Where did he come from? What are his credentials? Who gave him the right to preach and teach? At the time, the religious leaders of that day were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They believed that they were the elite rabbis and the leaders of their time. They viewed themselves as holy and as God's standard of righteous people. But they were far from this. They knew from what the prophets foretold long ago that a Messiah was coming. But Jesus didn't look like the Messiah that they were expecting. And he didn't hang out with the people that they expected him to. While Jesus traveled throughout the region, he would spend his time with the most notorious sinners. People whose bad reputation of sin preceded them. But he never condemned them. He never spoke down on them. He never treated them as if they were undeserving of him being there. He did tell people to repent of their sins for the kingdom of heaven was near, but he never condemned or judged anybody. Instead, he loved them in such a pure and wholesome way that people would begin to change from the inside out. 
As all these things took place, the disciples followed him every step of the way. He would often teach them by telling them parables that would help them understand what the kingdom of God was like. From time to time, he would give them opportunities for hands-on experience, sending them out two by two, and they would go into future towns that he planned to visit and prepare the people for his coming. As the disciples grew in knowledge of Jesus, they began to recognize that he was the prophesied Messiah. Because they realized this, Jesus began to peel back the hidden layers of God's full plan. And he told them that soon he would be going to the city of Jerusalem, and he was going to suffer many things there and die. Peter, who was known for being very brash and brazen, would oftentimes react without thinking. He goes and he pulls Jesus aside and he says, never, Lord, these things shall never happen to you. And Jesus, being completely committed to the will of his father, looks Peter right in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but rather the concerns of man. Jesus knew his mission and no one would get in his way of fulfilling his purpose. The chief priests and Pharisees had reached to the point where they could no longer deal with Jesus. They wanted him dead and gone. The Passover feast was coming and they knew if Jesus was the holy man that he claimed to be, then he would be in Jerusalem to celebrate that feast. They began to devise a plan that would allow, him, that would allow them to secretly arrest Jesus and kill him. But none of this took Jesus by surprise. As Jesus and his disciples approach Jerusalem, he tells two of his disciples that there was a village just ahead of them. And as you enter in, there will be a donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie that donkey and bring it to me, he said. The disciples went and just as he said, there was a donkey that had never been ridden. And they untied the donkey and brought it back to where Jesus was. They begin to take off their cloaks and they placed it over the donkey's back. And Jesus climbs on and he begins to proceed forward into the city. As he approached the city, the streets begin to get crowded. People were taking off their cloaks left and right and they were spreading them across the road. Many others grabbed palm branches that they had cut from the field and they began to lay them at his feet. Crowds upon crowds of people were lined along the side of the road and many went ahead of them and many followed him from behind and they all shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest of heaven. But as Jesus rode in on this donkey, he was not jubilant. He was sad. He actually wept over the city. For if they had only known what was actually getting ready to happen, but they were blinded too blinded to see the gift of God that was before them. Judas, who was called Iscariot, was one of the 12 disciples, and he allowed himself to be tempted by Satan, the evil one. And he went to the chief priests and teachers of the law and offered to deliver Jesus into their hands for 30 pieces of silver. They agreed to the terms that Judas offered, and then he leaves. The scene switches. Jesus is now sitting with his disciples at a table and he's having his last supper with them. While eating Jesus, knowing everything that he knows, he spoke up and he said, very truly I tell you, on this night, one of you is going to betray me. One by one, they all began to deny that they would do such a thing. 
And when it got to Judas called Iscariot, he said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And Jesus replied, you have said it so. As the conversation continues, Jesus says on this very night, all of you will fall away from me. For it has been written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. Peter, being his confident self, spoke up and very pompously said, even if all of these people fall away on your account, I never will. And Jesus looked at him and said, very truly, I tell you on this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Yet Peter still said it would never happen. And the other disciples begin to chime in as well, saying the same thing. We will never desert you. They left that place to go to a garden called Gethsemane to pray. Jesus was beginning to feel the weight of the world's sin set upon his shoulders. This gave Judas a chance to slip away and tell the chief priest where he was going to be. Meanwhile, back in the garden, Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He tells his disciples to keep watch for him while he prays. He stumbles a little ways away, and he fell with his face to the ground and began to ask God to take this cup of death from him. My father, my father, he said, if it be your will, please, will you allow this cup of death to pass from me? Yet not my will, but your will be done. He was praying so profusely that his sweat began to turn into drops of blood that dripped to the ground. And as he lay there prostrate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords was about to experience something that no part of the Godhead, the Godhead had ever experienced. He was going to die. Jesus rises from the ground and goes back to where he had left his disciples only to find them sleeping. Could you not keep watch with me for even one hour? He exclaimed. But look, the hour has come. Rise, for here comes my betrayer. Then Judas walked up into the garden where Jesus was standing. He had a mob of soldiers behind him, and he steps to Jesus, and he looks him right in the eye, and he says, greetings, rabbi. And then he gives him a kiss. The soldiers go to seize Jesus, and a fight breaks out. Peter, being the hothead that he is, he draws his sword, and he cuts off a man's ear. But Jesus shouts to him, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Don't you know that I can call to my Father right now and at once he would dispatch 12 legions of angels to be used at my disposal? But if I were to do that, then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that says it has to happen this way? At that, the disciples scattered. They deserted him and fled just as he said they would do. And the men who came with Judas took Jesus and led him away. In the middle of the night, Jesus was getting ready to endure the greatest injustice that will ever take place in human history. Caiaphas, the high priest, and all the teachers and the law and the elders had already been assembled. Together they made up what we call the Sanhedrin. All these people were gathered there together because they were looking for false evidence so that they could use it as justification to kill Jesus. The thing that is quite ironic about all of this is that these people were supposed to be the religious elite. The ones who knew the law of God, yet none of them thought that, it, that lying on a man 
and bringing false witness against him would be a sinful act that would displease God. Instead, they thought the opposite. They thought that they were doing God a favor. Many came forward with false testimonies, but no matter what lies they said, they couldn't get any of it to stick. The high priest prodded Jesus, trying to get him to speak up and say something about the testimonies that were being bought against him. Yet while all of this took place, Jesus remained silent. He had no desire to defend himself. He didn't speak up and say, that's not true. That never happened. Instead, he stood there in silence as one who was humble and timid. Finally, the, pre the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us, are you the Messiah, the son of God? You have said it so, replied Jesus. But I say to you all, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of heaven. At this, the high priest tore his clothes. He has spoken blasphemy, he exclaimed. We don't need any more witnesses. You have heard this blasphemy for yourself. He is worthy of death. And at this, they begin to spit on him and slap him, and they struck him with closed fists, and they, they mocked him. Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you, who hit you, prophesy to us. But still, Jesus remained silent, and he let them hit him and spit on him and have their way. Peter, who claimed that he would never deny Jesus, was actually close by. He was watching from not too far of a distance. And on three different occasions, someone proclaimed that he was one of the disciples. Yet in the most demonstrative way possible, he would say, I do not know that man. And just after his third denial, the rooster crowed. And Jesus turned toward Peter and locked eyes with him. And his former words echoed throughout his ears. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter, completely devastated, ran off and wept bitterly. The wee hours of the night had passed by, and it was now early morning. The people, ready to have Jesus condemned to his death, led him to Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor at the time. Pontius Pilate began to ask Jesus questions, but Pilate found no fault in him. But to try to appease the Jews, he decided that he would have Jesus flogged. The instruments used to execute these floggings were no joke. They were designed to inflict the most damage possible to the human body. Not many could survive such an intense beating. And that's exactly what Jesus went through, an intense beating. The whips tore through his skin to the point to where his bones were on display. The hair was ripped from his beard right off of his face. And the strength that he once had was now drying up like sun-baked clay. For the very man who once held the stars was now sentenced to bear my scars. They brought Jesus back out before the Jews and they removed his coverings. And the people gasped <gasps> in disbelief. Many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured that he didn't even seem to be human. And from his appearance, one could hardly tell that he was a man. And as he stood there, battered and bruised, 
crushed and afflicted, barely holding on. He was still in love. Yet, this torture was not enough. The people were bloodthirsty. They wanted him dead. Crucify! That's what they shouted and they screamed. Crucify! This is what they shouted and they screamed. But it was customary for a prisoner to be released before the Passover feast. So Pilate offered the Jews a choice. Release Jesus or Barabbas. And one loud voice, the people began to cheer. Barabbas! Barabbas! We want Barabbas! And there still stood Jesus. He never spoke up for himself. He never said, pick me. He never once thought to himself, why me? And even as they beat him with all of their might, he never hated them. He never became so angry to the point that he wanted to fight back. In spite of all the display of pure hatred that they showed him, he was still in love. As the crowd began to riot, Pilate could no longer try to appease both parties involved. So he gave Jesus over to the Jews and he said to him, to them, if you want him to die, then you're going to have to do it yourself. The crowd erupted in a cheer because they got what they wanted. And they set off to the place called Golgotha, where the stage was set for all to witness the death of the innocent and the murdering of a king. And what amazes me so much about this story is that though he was 100% God in this situation, he was 100% man. He was skin and bone. He was flesh. And every bit of pain that was inflicted on his body, he felt. In this particular situation, his deity could not overpower his humanity. They placed a Roman cross on his back that weighed about 100 pounds and they said, carry this. But his human condition was so weak from the flogging that he endured that the Roman guards had to enlist the help of another man walking alongside of the road. And that man helped Jesus carry his cross. And they arrived at Golgotha and they laid that cross on the ground and Jesus completely distorted and disfigured, limbs out of place, climbs up onto the cross to take his final position in which where he would breathe his last breath. After all that he had done for 33 years, this is what it had come to. You could hear the hammer colliding with the top of the nail as it pierced through his skin. And he began to cry out, Abba, Abba, Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even in his closing hours, he was still making intercession for those that despised him. They set the cross into the ground, and Jesus hung there for hours on end, and they baited him. Come down, son of God. Show us that you're the Messiah. Save yourself, they mockingly yelled at him. He truly had all power to do so, but he had no concern with saving himself. For he was more determined to save the world. So there he stayed. And there he suffered. In the middle of the day, the darkness began to come over all the land. And at three in the afternoon, he let out a loud cry. 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which meant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For in that moment, the Son of God had experienced something that he had never experienced in all of his existence. He was completely separated from the presence of his father. It was like a child being lost in a dark room where the darkness was so thick that you could feel it. And instantly the child began to cry out for his father, but no one came. Jesus took one final scan over all the people, and with his final breath he said, It is finished. And he let out a loud cry, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. And the Son of God, who came down from the heavens to dwell amongst men, lived no more. That's not how the story ends, but I'm going to bring it to a pause right there. On this day, Good Friday, we, we, we thank God, we thank Jesus for what he did on that cross. But I want to bring a clear recognition that the reason why that took place was because of me, because of my sin and my shortcomings, because of how far I fell and came up short from his glory. And I don't know if you're willing to own that for yourself, but I ask you to take a moment and reflect and compare yourself to the story that was just read and all that was described and ask yourself, could he have had to endure that because of you? I have heard many people over my lifetime try to describe Jesus as this weak man. And I just think these people are out of their mind. <laughs> because as I have said uh, many times throughout this story, one of the greatest things that amazes me about this story is that he was 100% man. He did not draw from the power that he was, that he had because he was 100% God. He endured and suffered everything as 100% man. And he at any moment, at any given moment, could have backed out. Just like he said, I can call upon my father right now and he would dispatch everything that I need to get myself out of this situation instantly. Yet he made the decision to choose us. There was nothing glorious about us. Nothing that looked attractive. We created a mess out of what God created. Nothing was originally like it intended, that God intended it to be. Yet even all of that, both he and the Father from the heavens looked down and said, I'm so in love with those people. And that's what I want you guys to think about tonight. As we take a moment and we meditate on the things that we've done wrong, when you walk out of this door tonight, 
may you be consumed with the fact that despite it all, he's still so in love with you. He was the only one worthy to save us. And he was not withheld from us. Rather, he was freely given as the ransom to pay the price to set us free. Now, those who have accepted that no longer have to be bound to sin. And there will be a day where we all dwell with our Savior, Jesus, in eternity. And what a beautiful time that will be. May you all stand and may the worship team come forth. Thank you.